0: Back to the light, how does someone come back to God? Like, oh, I don't know, a certain Canadian radio host back in 2010, after years seven years of hosting Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show, I came out. I admitted during an interview with Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias that I was no longer convinced there's a God, mostly because after 30 years of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, quote unquote, I realized that this God I was serving wasn't actually all that personal, unlike. The other people that kept telling me how personal it was Going public as a doubter Not an atheist, just a doubter And no longer considering myself part of the evangelical tribe of certainty I left I left organized religion I left the church I left it up to God to reveal himself to me Through one of those tangible encounters I kept hearing so many of my tribes speak about And 2017 ended up being the worst year of my life So, I don't know if this math makes sense But I've decided that since my way didn't work Maybe it's time to crawl back to the light and I've decided to once again to do this publicly. As embarrassing as it is to admit personal and spiritual failure, uh, my hope is that others experiencing similar frustrations might learn something from my conversations with a few people who have had a profound impact on my life. I'm still really not sure that there's a God, but my life seemed to have gone better when I thought there was a God, so now what do I do? Today's guest, Brian McLaren, best-selling author, speaker, activist, theologian, Brian is a passionate advocate for a new kind of Christianity, which is just, generous, and working with people of all faiths for the common good. He is known for his leadership in the emerging church movement, postmodern Christianity, progressive Christianity, and post-evangelical thought. I think that's an oxymoron right there. But Anyway, brianmclaren.net is the website, brianmclaren.net. And he joins us. Sir, are you at home? Are you in a snuggly um, on the couch?
1: I'm blissfully at home. I was out marching uh, for most of the day today. But I'm really happy to be with you. And, uh, oh, my goodness, fascinating to hear about your journey these last couple of years.
0: Well, I mean, for, well, hold on. First of all, the marching, was that the student, again, like, against gun march or something? What? what? Yeah. 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 Because I think there was a bunch yeah, of them.
1: Yeah, I think there's over 850 of them. I I live in Florida, maybe you know, 90 minute drive from where the uh, Parkland shooting happened. So um, I was uh, at a local march, and we had for in our little town, we had 3,000 people show up, which is pretty good. And uh, what a great spirit! And I could not believe the eloquence. Like, like I'm not, I'm not playing humble here. I have never given a speech as good as five different high school students gave uh, today. It was just amazing. Wow.
0: That's good. You know, trust it, leave it up to the kids, huh? Seriously.
1: It's very encouraging to see.
0: I mean, it makes sense. You know, we're the ones getting shot here, people. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So you, you had said, Brian, that, oh, you know, your, your story is fascinating and, and I kind of, I have a weird reaction to that because I don't think it's all that fascinating. I think it's actually quite, because it's so common, I don't think it's that fascinating. You know, since I've been talking about this stuff publicly, um, you know, people have just come up to me left, right, and center, and many who are sort of full-time ministry or pastors or, you know, they're trapped. Their beliefs are trapped by their job description.
1: Yes. So true. Very, very true. Yeah, it it is. uh, And I think it's especially hard for people who either grew up or converted into evangelicalism because, as you said... So much of evangelicalism creates this aura of certainty, and I don't think faith is ever about certainty. I think, you know, faith probably has two opposites, certainty and, uh, you know, disbelief or something. But um, yeah, that and in some ways evangelicalism is really just a form of fundamentalism, and it presents itself as the only legitimate form of Christianity. And so, a whole lot of people feel when the evangelical system and all of its assumptions, and it has this whole set of social mores and political assumptions and gender assumptions and all, when, when that package stops working, uh, it feels like, okay, Christianity didn't work or faith didn't work or whatever. So, it, it's really, really common, especially, I think, among evangelicals right now. Also, because I think evangelicalism has taken. I don't mean just in the last year or two, but in, in the last several decades, has been on this weird course toward, you know, becoming a kind of product. And uh, uh, so, uh, for for a whole lot of people, it's not working. And that's why, in your you know little bio there, when you talk about you being the failure, of course, you're, I know you you mean that on many levels. But in, in a sense, in my mind, the real failure are the people who cannot be honest you know they and you are honest so you succeed in being honest i think that's a good thing mm-hmm.
0: well it doesn't win you any friends that's for sure um oh, wait that might just be me forget all the stuff i'm going through um okay so you know th- this journey that i've been on do you have any actual questions about it because I've got a whole bunch of questions to ask you, but is there anything you need clarification on? I mean, it's, it seems like a pretty stereotypical, you know, I did 30 years of evangelical, you know, Jesus tribal conditioning stuff, kept hearing about everyone saying how God showed up and God did this and God did that in my world, and I asked and, and begged and pleaded and, and, uh, and laid the fleece. And I um, uh, just didn't seem to have. I was I was legitimately looking for a tangible interaction with this creator that I'd heard yep. my tribal people speak about, and people would say, "Well, what, what, what do you want, How do you want God to show up?" Well, I'm not going to put parameters on that. God knows how to how I need Him to show up. Why don't I just leave that to God? Yeah. And then people would say, "Well, you know, you're you're probably just blind. You know, God probably has shown up many times, and you just haven't picked up on it." Well, that defeats yeah. the original premise. God, I'd like you to show up in a way that I would consider a tangible encounter, dude. I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna glaze over or accidentally uh, let a tangible encounter slip by my consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Anyway,
1: that's a rant. Yeah, the, the well, the, and here's where it really gets tricky, too, Because, it, at least for me, um, you know, there are so many different kinds of people. I mean, everybody's unique. And people have all different kinds of experiences. And some people have these, you know, I, I met a guy years ago who had a dream of a, a talking elephant. And he felt that was a sign. That there's a Hindu god, Ganesh. Yeah, Ganesh. He felt that was a sign. He should become a Hindu, right? So he had a personal experience with Ganesh, right? So people have all kinds of ex- uh, personal experiences. And, um, And some people never have those kinds of traumatic experiences, and so one of our problems is that whatever religious community we're in, they they tend to universalize a certain kind of experience. And I'll be frank, I I think what people learn how to do is to belong to that group. They learn how to twist whatever they have experienced into that form of experience, right? Mm (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, and or to talk about it in a way that gets them entree into the group, and so it's so tricky. It's so tricky, and and uh, and some, you know, I, I think my struggles have had a lot of similarities to yours in that I was a professional Christian um, in about 1990 when I began about a five, almost a six-year descent into a, you know, kind of disintegration of all the different categories of of uh, fundamentalist evangelical Christianity I grew up with, and I, I, you know, over, I would say, probably four to five years in the early 90s, every month, I was probably less psychologically healthy than I was the month before. Um, and uh, but, but just because I felt my faith was slipping through my fingers, and it was how I made a living at that point, and so that complicates everything, you know. Um, so I, I, I'm sympathetic in that way. I, I think what happens to some of us is that um, uh, we we're, we aren't given an all or nothing ultimatum, that you have to keep signing on the dotted line for exactly this version of things, <laughs> or else you have to give it all up. You know, I think there's other ways to explore this, and I think that's what you're going to come to terms with, or what you are coming to terms with Sure, now, sure um
0: Brian in your world in your life in your journey of being hold on I want to even back this up further when people hear the way the 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 name Brian McLaren some people still have a bit of a oh that guy because you were on the leading edge of well whatever terms we we've used to describe you you know merging church postmodern Christianity progressive christian post evangelical thought all that kind of stuff you were on you were on the front edge of Helping Christians pull their head out of a certain orifice.
1: <laughs> Nobody, nobody's ever given me exactly that comment Yeah, before.
0: yeah. Feel <laughs> feel free to put that in your next book. You know, it's quite an endorsement right there. Um, no, but you know, and then and then along, but what comes along with that, Brian, is our other labels like troublemaker, um, yeah. uh, liberal, backslidden, that German the- theologian. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know all those other kind of terms that usually follow away, you know, yeah. So, are you dangerous? Because are you you know? And I think at the at the bottom line, or sorry, below all of that is the stuff that the accusations they threw at Paul Young. He and I just had a great chat the other day. Um, you know, Universalist, you 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 have given up on the exclusivity of of Christ, and you're you're letting you're letting all sorts of weirdos into heaven, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, let me say a couple things about that. First, when people say I'm a universalist, I tell them, oh, it's much, much worse than that. (laughs) uh, If if you think I'm a universalist, you have no idea uh, that uh, I'm so far from that that uh, I don't even think that the question that yields that answer is not even the question I find interesting. in life. But that's another story we could talk about that if you want. But uh, I'll tell you what really uh, a moment that was really... Critical looking back, I, I don't think I realized it at the time because I was just miserable. But my first big bout of doubt uh, uh, well, I mean, it, my first came before I, uh, I grew up in this fundamentalist home when I was 13 or 14. I remember thinking, evolution makes a whole lot of sense and science has a whole lot of answers. And my Sunday school teacher said, You can't believe in God and evolution. So, you know, four years from now, I'm out of here, you know. And so that was my first sort of... And then I had this very... I had one of those powerful spiritual experiences sort of reoriented me. But my senior year of high school, freshman year of college, I went through a deep, deep doubt period. And I was sitting with this dear friend who uh, in his living room, and I said to him, uh, I said, Tom, I think I don't believe in God anymore. Uh, it, none of this makes sense to me. It feels like the bottom fell out of this whole thing. And he, I'll never forget he said. He said, I get that, I understand. He said, I, I, I want you to know that, you know, right now God is very real to me, uh, and if God, I understand God doesn't seem real to you. He said, I just want you to know, I'll be your friend. Our friendship won't change at all if you decide you're an atheist or whatever else. It won't affect our friendship at all. And, uh, you know, I, I could imagine him he was being religiously unfaithful at that moment, right? Like, it should make a big difference to our friendship, maybe. But he was totally sincere. And all I can say, looking back, was whatever God is, it's God is revealed in that kind of friendship that says, I'll be your friend no matter what, you know. And I, I think that gave me a, a kind of freedom. And for people who don't have a circle of friends like that. And very often our churches are the least safe places to have that set of questions, especially if you're a professional uh, in the faith business. Mm. Uh, anyway, I, I, I'm i sure I would not be in this thing if it weren't for a friend like that at that moment.
0: Um, Brian, and uh, by the way, we're speaking with Brian McLaren. Um, he's kind of a big deal. People know him. BrianMcLaren.net. Brian, just... What role did having a gay son play in the restructuring of your theology?
1: You know what's kind of interesting about that is I had been I had never bought the traditional uh, view on LGBT stuff, and so I did what a whole lot of pastors and Christians do right now. I just stayed quiet about it. I tried not to talk about it mm-hmm. uh, as much as possible. But um, I had a lot of people in my church come out as gay, and uh, uh, I so I went through a process where I realized everything I've been taught is not true, this is not a choice, these are wonderful people, and all of these different facile explanations of what's wrong with them, I I just knew weren't right. And so I started writing about that and speaking about that. I got vilified in Christianity Today and, you know, all kinds of things. happen. Uh, and then, uh, in this, I can't remember what year it was. that my son came out, but in December of the previous year, you, uh, you probably know, uh, T- uh, Tony and Peggy Campolo, uh-huh. um, Peggy called me and said, Brian, there's this gay church, uh, and they would like you to speak at this big event they do. They're closely watched by people. If you speak there, you will have a new round of enemies, um, Uh, if they invite you, are you okay with that? And and I said, of course, i would be glad to do that. So I spoke there in December, and that was sort of like my last last shred of coming out in in full support of LGBT people. And then I think it was March of the next year that my son came out. Um, So, you know, uh, it had been sort of a, a, a process for me. My biggest fear when my son came out was, oh, you know if he if he has gone through what so many other people have gone through that he's been afraid that he's been experiencing self-hatred all that i just the pain of that i i i I, it was the most horrifying thing and uh it was such a relief when he and i sat down and he said no dad i was i just wanted to be sure and i was taking my time you know Mm -hmm. so uh, he said i never got it you know more you know cool with me whoever i was so anyway wow wow but but the effect that did have was this um i I would say i i gained huge amounts of empathy for the position of parents and other close family members because you know we had close friends friends we would known for decades come over, you know, make appointments to come and talk to us and give us the talk about how they don't approve. And I just I, mean, I just thought, is this necessary? And anyhow, all of that pain was very good for me to empathize with what other people go through. What a journey, man.
0: What, I, you know, I, it is, I don't know, this seems so obvious it, it almost pains me to say it, but it, it seems to me that the vast majority of Christians who are against something no longer come against something once someone they love struggles with it.
1: Yeah, and in fact, one of the really painful moments is when one of my mentors took me aside. This was just a couple of years ago, and gave me a forty-five-minute lecture about how I shouldn't let my personal experience with my son trump my reading of the you know the inspired and inerrant scriptures. And I, I, anyway, I, you know, I tried to be gracious, but I just thought you have no idea, you know. Uh, it was how just rude and inconsiderate and insulting, you know, to say such a thing was. Yeah. The yeah. fact is, when, when people have an experience like that, uh, that is very important data <laughs> that yep. calls into question assumptions that they've made. And any sane person, when new data, any sane and honest person, when new data comes to, to their attention, if, it, if it's in conflict with something they previously thought, they got to figure out how to reconcile that, yeah, you know. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: well, yeah. We, you know, we can't all be John MacArthur.
1: <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think I think what happens for some people is they create such an aura around them that they that the people who have contrary data can never get through. <laughs> yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. So really well said. Uh, speaking with Brian McLaren. On the Drew Marshall Show, we're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca, and of course, we're live all around Southern Ontario and all sorts of people across Canada listening to this show. Uh, we are in season 15 and doing a little segment called "Come." Uh, how do, what's it called again, Tim? <laughs> crawling back to the light. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, somebody said to me, "Oh, Drew, I don't like the way you've you've labeled that crawling back." To, you know, God, if there is a God, God doesn't want you to crawl, and uh, and I get that. I guess I'm just saying. I feel like that's a position I need to be in because one of the things that's gotten me into trouble over the last seven years—it's amazing to think the what was synonymous with my journey into my exploration of doubt was the the rise in my ego agenda. There was a there was a correlation with both of those. Uh, I I felt I. had I deserved this time of exploring doubt, and it was. And I'm a grown up now. I'm a big kid. It sounds like a Huggies commercial. Um, <laughs> and I and and then I felt that way about. I got I kind of got a little frustrated having the same old juvenile conversations with with the, the tribe, and so I thought, well, you can't be a jerk to everybody, so you should probably pull yourself out of the tribe. I don't know. And then and then next thing you know, I you know I had these fractured relationships and. The common denominator was me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, um, Drew, that brings to mind a a quick story, if that'd be okay. Please. Uh, I I had a friend years ago, a young woman who uh, was part of a very authoritarian church, and uh, they didn't have much respect for women. And she's a single woman, and she announced that she was going to take a few months off and tour around Europe. And the elders pulled her aside and said, a young woman should not tour around Europe alone, you know. And so they gave her a lecture, told her that she shouldn't do that. And so she did it anyway. And she had an incredibly good time. And when she came back, now she has to figure out what she's going to do. So she went back to her elders and told them what a horrible time she had <laughs> and, and how sorry she was that she disobeyed their counsel. And what happened as soon as she did that, is her faith fell apart like she went into psychological distress right and you you realize uh what she lost faith in at that point wasn't exactly god it certainly was her leaders but on a deeper level she lost faith in her own faith (laughs) you know what i mean she said something's wrong with my faith and if if that's part of what you're saying hey something is wrong with my faith um it in a bizarre way think it's a deeper act of faith to acknowledge that and say, I think I would be better off acknowledging that there's something wrong with my faith. There's, uh, there's this wonderful Catholic philosopher named Richard Carney, it's K-E-A-R-N-E-Y, and he wrote a book called Anatheism, which is sort of a play on atheism, um, sticking the letters N-A, and Anna means again, so it's kind of like belief after atheism. And hmm. he, he talks about how, in some ways, the modern world is this 500-year experiment with atheism. And um, and he, he raises the question, what happens after you become an atheist and you start having a spiritual search again? Um, and he, he describes how the, the second search is going to be different than the first one, you know. and um, And that's what I think a whole lot of us are going through. It's it's a search for a grown-up faith, a kind of grown-up God, uh, and it's and it's a search that takes place apart from needing certification by some authority figures. Wow.
0: Well, I got to—that's uh, a great phrase. I got to look into that. Anatheism? Anatheism. Yeah, a- anatheism. Okay. All right. Yeah. You uh, mentioned earlier, Brian, Brian McLaren on the line with us, that— you had this powerful spiritual experience when you were younger. And so that obviously begs the question, at least from, from my point of view, have you ever had a tangible encounter with the creator God?
1: So I'm Drew, I, 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 I really struggle in answering that. I will answer it. I promise. But <laughs> the thing I want to say is I, uh, I have been around long enough to know two things. First, anyone who has a deep experience and tells the story of it it can unintentionally exclude people who haven't had that experience or make them feel inferior in some way right so that's the first thing i want to say second thing i want to say is i have never had any experience of anything that i can't question and deconstruct Hmm. Yep. (laughs) Um, in other words my analytical mind can deconstruct anything. I can deconstruct my marriage. I can deconstruct my career. I can deconstruct everything, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, uh, I, I, you know, it's like there's this kind of x-ray vision that can see through anything. So I've had many, many experiences that are deeply meaningful to me, but they, they don't prove anything. You know, I, I can't say they prove anything. They're, they're meaningful, but I don't think they prove anything. Does that, does that make sense?
0: Totally. 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 Um, Okay, hold on. If God made you, God knows that you have this analytical mind that can tear things apart or deconstruct things. And so if there is a God and God made you and he knows what you're like, uh, then why wouldn't he give you something that you could not tear apart?
1: Well, maybe the analytical mind is a really important stage in in maturity, but it's not the final stage.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Um, and and I I don't just mean that with individuals. I also mean that almost as a species, you know, because there's a certain sense we're all, uh, you know, we're like the fact that we use language means we're part of a civilization that has language. So we're not discrete individual monads, you know, uh, uh, operating independently from others. We're part of a civilization, we're part of communities, and so on. And so we're part of a whole human drama that, that is uh, evolving and changing and growing. And, and I think one of our huge problems in religion, I mean, this is, you and I have experienced this within Christianity, but uh, I have Muslim friends who can tell me their version of this, and uh, I have Buddhist friends who can tell me their version of this. And, you know, it, 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 it's it's almost a universal uh, issue right now, but we inherited religious traditions who derived authority from the past. <laughs> and what if what we have to start doing is somehow derive authority from the future, if we want to use the word authority at all? In other words, what if what our faith is supposed to be hasn't been defined by the past. What if its entire value is that it has the capacity to keep inviting us into growth in the future? Does that make sense?
0: Sure, but I can hear people who are scared. uh, Well, they're scared, and they might push back by saying, well, then you're... What about the inerrancy of Scripture? What about the God who is the same yesterday, today, and you know? Um, and and then what was the point of Jesus' sacrifice in that one moment of time when God's wrath was poured out, poured out on on Christ? You know, and uh, I don't. Need, I don't even yeah, know that's what I'm the saying. Whole package. Yeah.
1: No, no, that's the whole package. And so, Drew, the thing I'd say is I'm not talking to them right now, right? <laughs> so y'all hate what I'm saying. Um, but talking to you, well, that whole package that works for them and that they're defending and that they're so uh, protective of has stopped working for you. And you can't pretend it has worked for you. So whatever is going to help you, is going to be out in front of you. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be behind you. So, oh, if, if you're crawling if you're crawling toward the light, my guess is it's not crawling back toward the light. It's crawling yeah, yeah. forward. Yeah, forward.
0: that's and that is advice I've received. I see, that's probably one of the most uh, there's a common thread in, in a number of people I've spoken to about this, and, and the common thread is what you just said. Don't try to crawl back to what was or what you used to do. In other words, don't crack open the Keith Green songs again, you know, um, Last Days Ministries. and yeah, No, yeah. but, it, it, you know, well, I'll give you an example. So I went to church every Sunday for January and February because I felt, well, that's got to play a role in this somehow. Maybe I won't go forever, but at least i got to give it a shot. Um, yeah. And I just had a conversation with Paul Young the other day, and we were talking about this. How I feel like I, there should I should be doing more. Like people will say, "Well, okay, you're crawling back to the light, Drew. So what does that look like? What have you been doing?" And honestly, I got nothing. I got other yeah. than oh, I went to church every Sunday for two months and then i have a bunch of reasons why like i'm not going to go to a local church cuz they suck and the one i like to go to is an hour away and i'm not doing that on my only day off and blah 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 well are you reading your bible are you you know are you, are you meditating on god's word are you yeah. and and paul said something like why don't you just wait for the one that you might be in relationship with to enter into things for that for the other to enter in as opposed to you always going after is there any? Do yeah.
1: you get that? No, I, I totally get that. I totally get that in two ways. The, the, the first one is, if, if one of the flaws of the version of religion that you and I both inherited is this, that there is a God who hates us and wants to destroy us, and if we can find the right exemption, then we'll be loved. Um, but because we're so imperfect, and because our doctrines are so bad, and because we have this thing called original sin, were hated you know um i mean that whole framework right uh, you can't go back i I don't think you can go back to that um and what's going to any concept of god that's going to be bigger than that is going to have to start by saying god is at least as nice as you and i and we would never treat our children that way Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) we we if our children messed up we would Love them, you know, and it might break our heart, but we love them. And so we have to think look, God gets us. God knows we go through stages. And even though we're grownups, we're still little kids trying to figure things out. And we got a million neuroses and these little three pound brains. I mean, really, what are they? And so, you know, whatever is true about God, it's going to have to be true that you are loved as you are even without having it figured out and that you're already in the light and you're already beloved but me saying that doesn't help you know it right yep it, uh, and, and and but there's the process of having to let go of all of these things that you were taught that tell you you can't be loved unless you do more right um so so there's that there's that piece of it that I think is is it's you know that word deconstruct is really the right term. It's like you got to take apart a whole bunch of stuff before you can. You got to tear down this ugly billboard before you can see that there was actually something prettier on the other side of the billboard yeah. before they put it up.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Well, that's like when women go to some one of those places where they do I don't know they sandblasting on their face. I don't know what it's called. Exfoliate. Exfoliate, yeah right yeah (laughs) you know before they do the stuff they really want to do they have to do the sandblasting first otherwise you're just putting makeup on a pig (laughs) no I've heard that phrase have you heard that phrase Tim I
1: know yeah yeah, yeah. I think they
0: used it in the uh, back in the emerging church uh, days you know yeah
1: Throwing pearls before the swan. No, no, no. it was it, never mind.
0: It was like churches trying to be real and authentic and cool and hip and hey, come to our church. We wear skinny jeans and drink coffee. Uh, they were trying to say, well, th- you, that's nice that you do all that and have smoke machines, but th- r- that's just lipstick on a pig unless you've changed the uh, actual. Okay. You know, all right, Anyway, all right. Okay. I think I slaughtered so many analogies there in that mm. one uh, conversation. <laughs> um, Brian, final quick word from you. You know my position, you know where I'm at. Well, you know a little bit. I've shared the story. What do you say to me? What should I not do? I think I'm more interested in that. What should I uh, And you've already said it. Maybe maybe that's it. So let's don't don't uh don't try to crawl back to what was. So then let's go to what what should I do? Give me one little nugget for me to hang on to as I crawl back to the light.
1: One nugget. Um when I was a pastor, I had a guy who was uh an organization called Canvas Crusade for Christ, you might have heard of them. And yep. he had all he had this big list of shirts, you know, that he was supposed to do. And he, he was go, he was on their staff and he was having big doubts about the whole thing. And he he didn't like reading the Bible and prayer was a burden. And so I, I met with him and I said, look, I want you to make me a promise. I want you to promise me you will not pray or read the Bible unless you absolutely have to please promise me you won't do it. Let's see if God still can love you if you don't do that <laughs> stuff. And he laughed and felt really guilty. He said, "Well, what should I do?" I said, "What do you like to do that you haven't been doing?" He says, "I love to play basketball." I said, "Look, the most holy thing you will do. Will you promise me before we meet next that you'll play basketball? Go join the league, start playing basketball, and if God is to be found." maybe God will be found in you playing basketball way more than in you doing something somebody else told you. You're supposed
0: oh dude, to do. you are so going to hell for saying that story. You are you're th- <laughs> you are theologically screwed up more than, than people have said, yeah, more than me. No, I love that. I love that. Gee, because, I'm I'm know, just it, sitting it, on that.
1: If if God is in aliveness, you know, if yeah. God is in life, then uh, you know, uh yeah, so okay. that would be my, okay. my one thought. Where do you find life? Where do you find joy? And what if you just gave yourself permission to count that as a place where whatever and whoever God is, you can be met by God there? As a start, you have all that other stuff, Yep. you know, up uh, Yeah, so.
0: Thank you. I know your time is valuable, and you just gave us a huge chunk of it. net. And by the way, is there, is, is there a new book coming out?
1: Uh, not not in the immediate future. You know, if people are interested, I read a book called, a little e-book called "Is Jesus the Only Way?" that addresses that issue of universalism you brought up. Interesting. People can find that on the website. So.
0: Interesting. Beautiful, Brian McLaren. Brian, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. A pleasure. Okay. Take care. Bye.